The new year is the perfect time to start building credit scores. Because when your credit scores increase, your opportunities do too. Like loan approvals and lower interest rates. Chime makes it easier to keep building your credit with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. You can use Credit Builder everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. Chime helps you build your credit scores safely by using your own money to make everyday purchases and on-time payments. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a $200 qualifying direct deposit. And don't stress, there's no annual fee or credit check required to apply and get started. Start building your credit history and finding new opportunities with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Terry Davis at the Motion Picture Association, the head of the Trusted Partner Network. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, and protecting content, films, TV shows, everything else from uh, leaking before release. It's part of the MPA's, you know, uh, 360 degree two sided strategy on on keeping stuff safe. I'm I'm really excited to talk to Terry about this. Thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Terry, one thing uh, I really wanted to talk to you about. We were discussing this a little bit beforehand. Was your time at Sony uh, Pictures? Uh, you were there from 2000 to 2015 which is an enormously important time in terms of the transition of how distribution actually happens. I mean, I like I, I you know, sometimes people make fun of me about this because I'm a little bit of a nerd on digital protection and that sort of thing. But I'm I'm fascinated by this period of transition where you go from, you know, physical analog tapes, film, actual film stock, delivering prints to theaters all across the country to essentially doing everything digitally over the internet um what was that what was what was living through that transition like what was working through that transition like it it was it was amazing i mean my background is post-production in london and then sony pictures hired me and moved me over to la um and we had just gotten through uh vhs to dvd right which was a huge change that was taking um a workflow that happened discreetly for every single vhs release around the world to suddenly saying, hang on a minute, we can do this better. We can aggregate stuff onto one disc. What does that look like? So we went through that cycle of um, decentralized to centralized. So we had just got through that, um, but it was still tape for the most part. And then um, digital files started to come up, I guess, for like 2007, 2008, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, and of course, being at Sony and anybody else who was at a studio or being a vendor of a studio knows there was such huge volume of videotape. We had videotape libraries everywhere. And all we knew about those videotapes was what was written on the label, normally by some tape hop, right, in, in, in a lab with very little instruction from us. Um, so suddenly the, these became even more precious assets, but they became really the source having to digitize all of those assets. And, um, you know, there was a big focus on going back to the best source. But the reality was we had to move quickly. So in some cases, we were digitizing or encoding rather um, from distribution masters as opposed to the actual, you know, proper, proper um, master. 
So we went through that and the change management involved in it was just enormous. It was almost incomprehensible trying to wrap your mind around this huge machine um, of any any studio and the thousands of pieces of content that we were moving every month and building a supply chain that could accommodate all of those different variables. And by the way, that's still a challenge today. You go to any conference, we're still talking about digital supply chain. Um, but also, how, how do you go about digitizing your library in a way that you are collecting the right information to drive the automation that was needed? And then, of course, you know, we were all thinking about that and planning and moving forward. And then the tsunami happened in Japan, um, which effectively wiped out all tape stock production. So, you know, we, we, we were talking about things and doing things like uh, recycling HD cam SR tapes because we just didn't have enough to keep the, you know, the, post, uh, the pipeline going for post-production. Um, so that really accelerated everything. And um, there was a moment actually that I don't think many people know about where the industry came together, um, specifically Sony, Fox, and Paramount um, led a huge initiative at IBC in Amsterdam. I think it was, yeah, it was 2011, the same year as the tsunami. And we called it Go Digital. And we, we um, spoke to the industry at large saying, look, we have to have a cutoff time um, at which you guys who receive tapes from us, broadcasters, um, distributors, whoever we were selling our content to, had to move to file. So we, mm -hmm. we, we really had to try and set the pace on it after the tsunami in particular. That's fascinating. I, so the tsunami story, I don't actually know anything about. So the tsunami uh, destroyed the actual tape production facilities in yeah. Japan. Yeah, for Sony. Oh man, that's that is a uh, that's crazy. All right, so so 2011. Then this is uh, so this is a few years after the uh, move to digital projection kind of happens, right? In theaters, right? Is 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 this about the same time? About a little after that, were you guys following that same? Yes. sort of game plan or it was all going on at the same time so i was dealing with distribution for post theatrical but obviously you know we we followed theatrical's lead so the digital cinema conversations were very much going on around that time as well so it was massive transformation and change management at a time when really the only significant uh transformation we had been through on the on the post theatrical side was vhs to dvd and that nearly killed all of us. Um, and then suddenly we had to, you know, we had to pivot again and we had to think about um, building our own digital supply chains and our own digital asset management solutions at, at a time when all of the great applications that are available now to stand up a digital supply chain reasonably simply and cost-effectively didn't exist. So we were all building our own bespoke, bespoke systems going up. How do we build automation? What's involved? I mean, we, we started up departments in the studio that never existed before. We had to create a metadata department and think about um, title schemas and how are we going to recognize these files when we create them. Onboarding as well. You know, we were delivering to thousands of destinations who hadn't got their head around file either. So when they said, this is our spec, we actually had to create an onboarding team who worked with those recipients of what we were delivering to say, are you sure you mean this when you put down that codec? Because we've tested it and it doesn't work very well. Or, or oh, this is a great idea. We haven't even thought about this yet. Or how do we do this? 
it it was an, it was enormous, really. Yeah, that's, that's and and that's also around the same time that uh, that Blu-ray becomes. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, I uh, as, as somebody who owned both an HD DVD player and a Sony PS3 in order to fully fully maximize uh, my HD opportunities, uh, that that was another kind of wild time to live yeah. through. Yeah, it just it just seems you know sort of. 2009 to today, really, it just hasn't stopped. And yeah. and I think up until that point, you know, the the biggest um, the biggest innovation was VHS, which, like I said, was a fairly simple supply chain because it was one for one. It was, you know, I'm the French, I'm the Parisian French version of Age of Innocence, and I'm the VHS of that. Right. So that that was a much more simple simple workflow. Yeah. When you, when you, uh, sorry, just one more, one more question about DVD because I, I do find this, uh, again, weirdly interesting. Uh, when you, when you were making the, the DVD, uh, masters for those, uh, were you pulling from, I mean, were you pulling from essentially the, the, let's, let's, let's talk about TV in particular, right? Were you pulling from the like broadcast, uh, tapes that you sent to the networks or how, how did that actually work? Where, where were the source materials from? So for the picture, uh, we were remastering. We, okay. we were going back to the old IPs and remastering because we wanted it to be, you know, the best quality because DVD, of course, was sold as top quality. But where it came to localization, that was a massive challenge because in some cases we would have sold Title A to a broadcaster in Italy and given the right to the broadcaster in Italy back then to create the Italian dub and the Italian subtitles. So we were constantly in this this um ROI analysis of like, ah, oh, is it easier to remake it? Um, or is it better to go and negotiate with the broadcaster to get back the rights for those um local language tracks and subtitles and um use them? But what if they weren't created to the standard that we need them? Or what if they'd done censorship and there would be holes in it? And of course DVD, we wanted to provide full length as much as possible. It was um yeah, it it, it uh, wherever possible we got the highest quality source assets. Um, but again, it was a, a complex balance of how much money do we throw at this thing. That's a, yeah. That's uh, again, I I could talk about this all day. Um, but let's uh, all right. So let's let's move on uh, to the the again the the transfer to digital and protecting digital assets because that's that's what the the tpn the trusted partner network uh at mpa is doing here you're you're, you're... actually let me let me, this is a thing i like to do because i find it i find it extremely useful could you explain in your own words what uh what you what you do at uh tpn and and what you, the the goal of the organization is so um trusted partner network tpn is wholly owned by the motion picture association um and our mission very simply is to keep content secure it, it, it's really as simple as that. So everything involved um, in that. So we work with all six of the MPA studio members and more now. We have the other big two um, as members of TPN as well, along with BBC Studios and Sky Studios and so on. Um, and we leverage the MPA best practices. So I don't know if you know this, but for oh, decades, MPA have been publishing content security best practices. And, you know, they have been really the Bible, the foundation for security in the industry. I remember being a receptionist at a post-production house in London and the guy from the MPA 
coming to visit our building to check that it was secure. You know, and we like hiding everything away and bringing out the best teapot and all all of that. So this has been going on for a long, long, long time. Um, And at the same time, the studios were doing all of their security assessments of the vendors. So basically, we we have a community of, I don't know, I don't know the number, 3,000 plus um, vendors out in the world who provide services to the studios to create and distribute content visual effects houses, audio post-production, localization, you name it, any type of service that is needed to create or distribute content. And every one of them has to be as secure as they possibly can be. So what was happening was MPA were doing their assessments, but increasingly studios were doing their own assessments as well. And because really the community of vendors who work on pre-release content is fairly finite, these vendors were finding themselves being audited by up to eight, nine, 10 different studios um, in a year, in a single year. So it hit breaking point and the studios realized that they're not really competing on security. Security is a baseline that, you know, everybody should be contributing to, to keep all content safe. And some brilliant people before I got involved um, came up with the idea of TPN and they said, well, what if we did one industry, one audit? What if we leverage the MPA best practices and we built an assessment on top of that and we drove all of the vendors to TPN um, to do a TPN assessment that would then be held in a central location and all of the studios could leverage that, right? So we would introduce massive efficiency into the industry. So that's what they did and they launched in 2018, super successful. Um, I think they grew something crazy like 350% in their first year because it was fulfilling such a need in the industry. Um, But they were only focused on site assessment because cloud was still kind of sort of new. And while everybody knew they had to get to cloud security, the site assessments were really the important things like literally brick and mortar cameras Mm -hmm. on doors. So they had this huge growth. And then, of course, COVID hit. And the pandemic and everybody went to work from home and did what? They moved to the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> so it created this huge fracture. So all of the progress that TPN had made um, stopped. The studios were still to some degree producing content. They had to start introducing their own cloud assessments to make sure the vendors they were giving work to were secure. Um, and TPN really became fractured. So I joined in. February 2022, um, not as a security expert, but as a sort of really operations in the industry and um, some expertise in business transformation. And we introduced App and Cloud, um, updated the TPN assessments to include that. So today, um, vendors can voluntary program, they voluntarily uh, sign up to do TPN. And the studios have a central repository again now to look at site or application and cloud security assessments from which they can make their own independent risk-based decisions. Because I know I'm saying a lot. I'll finish after this one sentence. That's good. The really fascinating thing about this job that I sit in is I work with all of the studios, but they all have different risk profiles, Mm. right? So TPN doesn't pass or fail or approve or, or disapprove. All we do is gather the status and each studio makes their own decision. 
Um, but what we do is, you know, gather as much information as the studios need. Um, and that's constantly changing, you know, with new technology coming along. So it's, uh, it's, it's a great it's a great central position. Well, this is a I, let's let's jump back just a little bit, because I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm kind of curious what the difference between uh, the security on, on on analog or even like early digital, you know, discs and, and that sort of thing. What what was the MPA looking at when you were when you were there as the receptionist, you know, watching them come in and 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 uh, you know, scan the place for 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 leaks and whatever. But like, what do, what is the difference between that look like and the difference between now with the cloud based, you know, digital digital first oh, uh, difference? It's very different. But what again, what's interesting is because this is, you know, while we adapt to change quickly um, in some ways that we don't. Right. So probably, well, not probably, I know, I, you know, we, we, we haven't even been launched with this new program, including App and Cloud for a year yet, but we're looking at the data now and we know conclusively that many of our members are hybrid, right? They still work on-prem and in the cloud. So we're still asking the old questions, cameras on doors, um, you know, the, the, the proper way to secure a building? Do you keep your visitor logs? How long do you keep them for? Who has the keys to the safe room? All of those questions, you know, very, very um, physical. But at the same time, we're talking about um, vulnerability scanning and, you know, cloud frameworks and what is needed um, to make sure that you, you don't have any issues. Intrusion detection, you know, all of all of those things that we need to worry about now. So we're we're balancing the two, and we're just now um, starting to see software application um, vendors join as well. So like um, Adobe and Signiant and Soho Net, you know, really big name mm-hmm. in the industry, um, and they're they're completing the TPN assessment. But if they don't have a physical infrastructure, we're not going to ask them about you know cameras on doors for example right well i mean this gets to uh kind of an interesting thing that that you guys have to have to figure out here which is as you mentioned risk profiles you know there's a difference between uh, a company that is putting out a 200 million dollar blockbuster in three thousand screens and like trying to keep that that asset uh that investment safe as opposed to somebody who is doing the final dub on a honeymooners episode, you know, from yeah. from fifty or sixty years ago. Like, what, what, when you're when you're looking at these companies and trying to figure out who needs what, how do you, um, uh, I don't know, make the individualize that for them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm glad you asked it actually because we have a solution for that. So we have some baseline questions. Um, there's about ten of them that we ask up front. Do you work on pre-release content? Do you work on post-release content? Do you have work from home employees? Do you work in the cloud and site or just site? Um, do you do DVD replication? Because that still exists, right? So we have these, these baseline questions from which we can de-scope the assessment or scope it up, right, if they do everything. So we, we try every way to improve the experience of the vendors because, I mean, these, these assessments, they're tough. Right. They take a long time. Um, it's a big investment for the vendors to go through this. So we want to make sure we only ask them the relevant questions. Um, and we've we've spent a lot of time on that. Actually, we rebuilt a new platform um, towards the end of last year 
we launched it when we relaunched the program with App and Cloud. Uh, and we've spent a lot of time thinking about building that functionality in. Um, and it and it never stops, right? Because we will continue to update the best practices um, with feedback from all of the studios. Actually, we have a workshop coming up where we're going to be talking about this with all the studios, but also with feedback from the vendor community, those, of, those who have been through TPN. We want to hear from them and we want to take their feedback as well. So we're constantly adding new best practices without making the list too big, right? I mean, fun fact, when we got here and uh, started to look at the MPA best practices, they were at something like 360, not including app and cloud, um, which is very, very, very difficult to answer all of those questions. And as we started to look into it, we realized some were duplicative, some weren't, you know, really... Um, a requirement anymore, like, you know, wearing form-fitting clothing um, in a replication plant so you don't steal a D2 in your, in your pants at the end of the day and <laughs> that type of thing, uh, while balancing the need to update it for the new technology. So we spent maybe six months with all of the studios and some key stakeholders in the vendor community saying, how can we rewrite these while still being robust and secure enough to do the job, but to improve the user experience. And we ended up republishing last October with 65. So we took it from 360 to 65, which in turn informs the questions that we ask the vendors. Yeah. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny. I was I was going through the list of best practices. And frankly, I this is so much of it is over my head and just like, well, these are things I don't I don't really understand. But I, it is it is really interesting to think about all of the different leak points, you know, the the potential places where uh, a pre-release thing can be released. And this is an important distinction as well, because I mean, like, I think when most people think of piracy, they think of like the guy in the movie theater with the camcorder or now a phone, you know, taping the screen or, you know, after the fact, you know, something's on shows up on HBO Max and then, uh, you know, what? 30 seconds later, it's on Pirate Bay. And like, this is an entirely different uh this is an entirely different front of the pri piracy war that i think people don't really think about and the 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 problems are when when you're looking at uh the the best practices you know what are what are you guys most concerned about is it is it strictly technical safety secure websites i mean are you looking is it um individuals background checks that sort of thing like what is that what is that process look like and what are you guys most afraid of i mean it it's everything and that that's the problem right it's a we're in a one size does not fit all business but trying to um implement a sort of one size fits all solution because we can't bespoke it too much apart from the automation that i just described to you it's it's everything we ask about background checks, we ask about training, we ask about password policies. Um, it, it's everything. We have 
four different domains where we we press heavily on organization. Um, is your management aware of what your business continuity programs are? You know, we ask we ask things like that. Really, really pushed on it because if you think about it, the best practices are trying to um, ensure that the work the studios give to their vendors is done with confidence. Right, there has to be a trust. I didn't come up with the name Trusted Partner Network. And since I've taken over, I've really, you know, looked at it from all angles. I'm like, is it a great name? And actually, it's a great name because what we have is a is a registry of trusted partners who have answered these questions. They've taken a good, honest look at where their vulnerabilities are. They work with us then to address the vulnerabilities and close the gaps. Um, and it, it's, a, it's on a biannual cadence. So, you know, we... It, it, it's a rela- it's not a one-time relationship, um, but you know. So we have the organizational domain, we have the technical domain where we get into cloud. We have physical domain where we're pushing on. You know, if you have a building, what does that building look like, and how have you organized it? Um, and it used to be, um, you know, we talk about script to screen, right? It sounds good, script to screen, but actually, we are way pre-script. Right, we're we're starting. We're we're working with vendors to protect storyboards and visual mm-hmm. ideas, and mm-hmm. you know, we, way way back then, and then all the way through to distribution, which is, um, I believe you you're meeting with Jan van Voen, our um, our head of, head of the ACE program at mm-hmm. MPA. So that's kind of the you know TPN and ACE are the two sides of the same coin, right? We do what we call content security, so we work. Um, upfront with anybody who's touching content throughout the supply chain, pre-script to screen. And then what Jan will talk about is what happens with, um, you know, sites that are pirated. How does he go in and shut them down? And he, he does an amazing job. So the MPA is trying to serve its members and the general industry by this 360 approach. What do we do proactively? Ace is proactive as well, but you know, meaning we're in the sure. we're in the production and post production pipeline, and then what do we do afterwards? Because it's as damaging um, now to lose subscriptions, right? Right, right, right. I mean, I yeah, I, it's funny. I hadn't even really thought about the whole previs, you know, angle the storyboards and all that. Because I mean, I'm sure you know if somebody got a, a good look into Kevin Feige's hard drive, there would be. Uh, you know, problems for years after that. Uh, but it it's it's fascinating. I mean, I, I you know, again, I it's funny. I was I was doing some I was doing some research before the show and trying to remember some of the uh, some of the big pre-release leaks. And I feel like there haven't been that many. I feel like it's been a. It's I'm sure it is still a problem. I'm sure it still happens. But you know, uh, back in the back in the the late uh, the mid to late aughts and the early the early teens. I mean, it was like. Revenge of the Sith leaked, like X-Men Origins Wolverine, you know, uh, I think the Expendables 3, I remember that one being on Pirate Bay and whatever. And, you know, I, I think it was something like 5 million downloads before they were able to kind of pull it down. I, what are some of the I'm, I'm curious if if these things still happen and are just kind of quietly, we're not going to we're not going to draw attention to it. Or if it is, if it's a problem that really has kind of gotten, been gotten under control in, in recent years. So looking at our data, right, because now we're in a, we're in a great position where we can actually look, we have, um, 
since we launched in February, we've got just over 800 companies who have signed up to this program, which is way more than we thought would happen in the first year. So it speaks to the need in the industry. So we're able to slice and dice this data now and really take a good look at um uh, we 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 have a membership fee, right? And the membership fee is based on annual gross revenue. So we're able to say, well, what does security look like for companies with less than $5 million annual gross revenue a year? What does security look like for companies who are $200 million plus? And then you, you uh, slice and dice it by, you know, um, EMEA and APAC and LATAM and North American uh, you look at it that way. And what is really, really heartening at this early look, not even a year in, is anybody, any company, smallest mom and pop shop in Indonesia, all the way up to the multinational global $200 million plus companies, understand how important security is. Um, and I, I have to say, we're really, really pleased with how each company, no matter their demographic, has taken this very, very seriously. And um, going back to a question you asked earlier, you know, the sort of uh, Seinfeld rerun versus the Marvel pre-release conundrum, right? So we mm -hmm. did the de-scoping, but we've also introduced a concept where um, we have a blue, sh blue TPN shield and a gold TPN shield. Blue TPN shield means that the company has self-reported, they've self-attested what their security um, status is and answered questions, which if I'm a studio and I'm looking at, you know, some library TV rerun, that may be good enough. I'm not going to force them to go through an assessment. If it's a, you know, um, top tier title pre-release, you're going to want to go through an assessment. So we have um, a directory of assessors that we've worked with to accredit. These are fantastic people who know the industry inside and out, but also are really auditors by trade. And they go in and they work with all of the vendors who have answered our questionnaire to say, actually, you said yes, but we say no. And this is a remediation item that you need to go and fix. Mm -hmm. um, so has it reduced incidents? I'm probably the wrong person to ask. You would need to ask each individual studio about you know, what they're battling with. Um, but is the industry continually raising the security standard? Yes. Is the TPN program helping with that? Yes, because we now see the data and we see where the gaps are. And in 2024, we'll be working on, you know, what do we do to improve that? Do we, do we provide some sort of education program? Do we provide some sort of library of security policies for the smaller companies that don't have a CISO position or a security department? Right. So we're very, very focused on obviously getting the studios what they need in terms of making vendor choices independently and based on their own risk, risk profile. Um, but we're also very focused on now we're in this great position to rising tides floats all boats, right? What, what can we do to help everybody? Mm. All right. At the, risk of, at the risk of exposing a security problem, at the risk of, you know, uh, what when you slice and dice the data, what is uh, an area that kind of routinely comes up as uh, a, a risk area or a problem area that needs addressing? So um, there are a few that come to mind, probably business continuity planning, right? Because when something happens, when you get that, you know, punched stomach that there's been a ransomware attack or there's been something or... An employee has, you know, 
taken something they shouldn't have done or whatever, whatever the cause of the incident is, you need to shut down and you need to regroup. But you're a key part of this, this um, industry pipeline. So what is your business continuity? If you need to shut down um, your infrastructure, right? What's your business continuity? How are you going to keep going? What's your disaster recovery? Um, and it's a really, really hard thing to do. I remember doing business continuity planning in my old jobs, and it's awful. You have to sit down, look at every single workflow, and at each stage go, what if? Go through all the what ifs. I mean, it's, it's exhausting, but so important. So I think you know that is something that I would encourage all um, companies to really focus on. And I, you know, MFA, multi-factor authentication, is kind of a fact of life these days, um, but incredibly important when you have work from home employees, which a lot of these companies still do as a throwback um, to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, that was everything I wanted to ask. That was pretty much everything I wanted to to focus on here. I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If you think there's folks, uh, stuff folks should know about TPN, MPA, I, frankly, anything. What, what do you what do you think folks should know about that I, I have failed to discuss with you today? I think re- the global nature of this, right? So of the 800 plus companies that we have signed up to TPN, 70% of those companies are international. So mm. 30% in the US, um, which is, is incredible. It's across something like 58 different countries. So again, you know, we, we need to really, really consider that and make sure that we have TPN assessors who can travel to those countries or are in those countries or have language skills. Um, you know, this industry, I think TPN, because it's under MPA, um, could be perceived to be very Hollywoodized because we work with the Hollywood studios. But this is a global business now. MPA is global, right? Mm-hmm. TPN accordingly has to be in the, the companies that are signing up to do this, um, demonstrate that. I, it's funny you mentioned that because I was having to explain to somebody the other day that the MPA is the MPAA. They dropped right. the, the last day for, you know, it's a global business, but uh, it's that that is it's a good reminder. Well, Terry, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Uh, and as always, I am Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark, uh, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.